0: Hi, I'm Martin Roca, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 96 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molle. This week, I'm speaking to Argentinian coach Martin Roca, Martin does some incredible work with his tennis aid program, helping make tennis accessible to those less fortunate all over the world. He tells us all about it, as well as his mini players program philosophy that he uses to get kids and join the game from an early age. Before we get started, we are coming up to episode 100. And starting from our next episode, we will launch our Slinger bag giveaway. Thanks to our podcast sponsors, Slinger. One of our lucky listeners will win a Slinger bag. Slinger bag are in big demand at present. And I've had to work some magic for the giveaway to happen. Details will be announced in our next episode and the winner will be announced on episode 100. Okay, let's chat to Martin. Hi, Martin. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. Great to have you on and really interested to hear about your story, all about how you ended up in Spain, a bit about Tennis and a bit about your junior mini players program. Yes. Yeah, so maybe we'll start off with I'll start off with telling people over the years on Functional Tennis, we've shared some of your posts, some of your great work you've done with Tennis aid. And they've always been one of our most favorite posts. They just resonate so well with people. And they probably bring people back down to earth when they see these kids playing great tennis, bad bounces, painted on, drawn on lines that disappear. And the comments are always amazing. It's always good. I enjoy going back. And I did last night. I went back and I read some of the comments and they're very heartwarming. So great work with Tennis aid. But before we get into that, maybe... Tell us a bit about yourself. How I know you came from Argentina, but how your journey to Spain...
0: Oh yeah, I became a coach uh, 31 years ago, <laughs> a long time. I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. I worked in Buenos Aires for nine years, and then I moved to New York. I spent there five five years. I loved that time there. I learned from my manner I was uh, working with, and um, in terms of passion and, and dedication to the work. And then I moved to Italy briefly for a couple of weeks. Then we ended up in Barcelona and uh, I've been here years now. Um, working a lot, you know, Barcelona. The Barcelona area is, is full of tennis. There's a lot of tradition and uh, you, you don't stop learning here.
1: I know you're right now. You're at the, the Real Club the Barcelona. Is that what it's called? Real Tennis Club Barcelona. Quarterfinals day today. must be busy.
0: The club is hectic right now because, especially because of the pandemic, there's a lot of restrictions and um, not all the people that usually come to the tournament is allowed to be to be inside the site. So it's a very different uh, edition of the tournament, but it, it, be, it became special because it's, it's more intimate. You know, the, the stadiums are, the two stadiums built are very small. So it's easy to see the matches, you know, especially Rafa. Watching Rafa in a stadium with only one thousand people, when usually we have thousand, it's different.
1: And tell me, while we have you there, this is Aaron. This Aaron, a few days time, so be pretty. You know, we're not far off. But quarterfinals, who's going to win, Sinner or Rublev?
0: My prediction, Sinner.
1: Okay, interesting. Rublev, a bit tired, is he? You reckon?
0: uh, I I saw him playing with with a lot of uh, nerves and trying to rush things too much, even though that's the the kind of game he plays, but uh, not particularly comfortable there. But Sinner, he impressed me a lot. And then Nadal or Nori? Well, Rafa is not playing his best tennis, right? But uh, I don't think Rafa can lose this match.
1: It's a good run. It's a good run for Nori. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Felix or Tsitsipas?
0: Oof, I love the way both of them play, but uh, I think Tsitsipas has a winning edge right now um, because of his mentality and the the way he played his first two matches on the tournament. He he was very motivated to finish the matches very quickly and and he was very determined.
1: He's looking good. He's looking like an assassin out there. And and this is going to be a tight one. Schwarzman or Karina Busta?
0: This is going to be tough. Um, I think they're going to be playing three sets. My prediction is, is Diego's going to win, but it's not going to be easy.
1: Okay, so we're just going to push this forward. We're going to see. So you think Diego's going to win, so that means he plays Nadal in the semis. Who's going to win?
0: I wish Diego can beat him, but once Rafa starts you know, running the engines, um, you can't stop him. And, and he's playing at home, so I think Rafa's going to win.
1: Okay, so then we have Rafa heading to the final, and then we have Sitsi Pass and Sinner Semis.
0: Again, Sitsi Pass to me, because he's it's, uh, it's in a very comfortable zone right now. He's uh, very confident, and, and you, you see him, he's even training, uh, he shows that confidence.
1: Okay, so that means we're going to get a repeat of the 2017 final. I was actually there where Rafa played Sitsi Pass. Do you think Sitsi Pass can get revenge this year?
0: I would say Rafa is going to win the 12th time this this title but uh, that'll be easy so let's go for TC Pass let's see if we can shake things a little bit now
1: this will air on Tuesday so we'll know what went down hopefully I wouldn't say you're far off but you never know with tennis do you so getting back to tennis in Barcelona Martin how many academies are there in Barcelona?
0: A lot 20 years ago there was only sanchez Casal and Bruguera now Bruguera is closed But you see so many groups, I I wouldn't say academies, because academies is a place where you can train, you can go to school, you can eat, you can sleep there. And um, there are too many um, competitive groups in Barcelona. Former players that became coaches and uh, they have their training uh, programs. There are so many, so many. The quality of the coaches are good. It's really good. Is really high. But um, groups, there are a lot.
1: So um, most of the groups are made up of Spanish people, like Spanish players, I take it.
0: Well, there are a lot of Russian players and from players from India, some, a few from the US, a few only, but um, most of them are coming from Russia. And Spanish players, yeah, the problem is that uh, Spanish players can can find good coaches all over the country. And they uh, they moved to to Barcelona, especially because of the competition level. But they can train anywhere here.
1: Okay, yeah, the quality is unbelievable over there. Mm-hmm. And tell me, you had Sergi on the podcast a while ago. I can't remember, maybe 30 episodes ago. What happened to the academy over there? Was it just COVID closed it or was there other reasons?
0: Many reasons. Probably COVID hit everyone really hard. And um, you know, don't forget that when you're a coach... Especially if you're coaching tennis players, um, professional players, sometimes you have a contract, but sometimes you play because you, you coach them because you, you're good friends. And if they don't play tournaments, they don't get money. You, you don't get paid. There were a lot of restrictions in terms of traveling. So players from other countries weren't coming back after you know taking a break with you know going home or traveling to tournaments. They went back home and they they came back. They didn't come back here. The problem with the academies or the um, training groups is that they lost a lot of players and some some academies like Bulgaria had that problem too
1: okay i'd say it's a big challenge how have you personally got on in the past you know year 15 16 months with the whole covid situation
0: well it was hard for me just like in everyone else but uh, i i took advantage of the online Connections, you know, you're trying to set up some, you know, build up a community with players and coaches and share information. Congresses that I was attending to, to, you know, be a speaker, they became online conferences. So I, I was pretty much busy doing that. And, um, you know, the connections were always there. So I would say that I wasn't traveling, but I was pretty busy all during these months.
1: Okay, that, uh, that's good to hear you were kept busy. And when did you get the role in Barcelona? Not so long ago,
0: was it? In Tennis Barcelona, where I'm working now?
1: Yeah.
0: I've been doing it for two years now.
1: Time flies. I remember seeing you posted about that. Time flies really quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me, which came first, tennis eight or mini players?
0: Okay, mini players is something that I've been doing for a long time. But the thing is, you know, with the use of social media, you try to give us some personality to what you do or, you know, have your page. And uh, it was under a different name, but uh, it was kind of a joke Uh, in the beginning. I was making fun of some situations here in Barcelona that we were doing with some other friends. But the thing is, I've been working with with kids with my own methodology for the past 15, 17 years. And uh, I was trying to give her personality, I was trying to give her profile. So I call them mini players because I understand that kids, when they start playing tennis, we should consider them like like players, not just kids with a racket in their hands, you know, doing some fun games and going home. No, I wanted to consider them like they're doing something specific. It has to be fun, but we have to teach them some content. And that's why I, I, I give it that name.
1: Okay. Let's just briefly talk about mini players. So, The kids' ages, you work with kids from three years up.
0: Okay, the thing is, we usually see that kids when they start playing as coaches, we have this noble idea of trying to teach them the mechanics, the technical part, the first days so they can learn the the game properly. But I think that's a mistake. Number one, because if you teach a little kid a forehand in a stationary position, number one, they're not playing, they're not moving, they're not running. They're not chasing the ball. Um, it's very, you know, in, in, in my opinion, it's boring for a kid. So you try to do something good that is teaching a mechanic, but it, be, it becomes boring for the kid. So I try to teach in a fun way, but always with content behind every purpose of what I do. You know, chasing the ball, tracking the ball, um, throwing, catching, working with a teammate, trying to work on the team's work spirit um this is something i do a lot of coordination games to prepare them to the point when they are you know getting older they they can move properly they can read the ball properly they can you know use the the implements like rackets properly and in the end it becomes easier for them to play
1: Nice. And so what, let's say my son is a year and a half, let's say he's three, I'm in Barcelona, we come to your camp. What's the first thing you do with these kids who've probably held a tennis rack before, but never really, you know, they've just held one at home messing. What's your first session?
0: Well, the first thing we're going to do is that we're going to um, try to have fun in terms of what we do, but we're going to use implements like tennis balls or tennis rackets or cones. And what we're going to do is try to track the ball down. I'll throw the balls and then they're going to have to stop it with a cone, with their feet, with their hands. Um, bounce the ball and catch it. Pass the ball to, to other teammates. Try to do something that is going to be dynamic. Try to move around the, co- the core. Um, and I will set up some obstacle tracks for them so they can start doing some split steps, even though we don't use technical language running, stopping, jumping, uh, changing directions, all of these things that are, you're going to be used as a technical part of the game, but not taught in a technical way. You know, it's going to be played in a fun way, but, you know, you're hiding a purpose there. You're teaching something, but you're not, you're not telling them, okay, you jump, recover, do this, or that. No, no, no. Just, you just play. Do follow my instructions and you do this. You play, you have fun, you play with your teammates, but in the end you you learn how to move properly on the court when you when you get older.
1: Nice. And how many times those younger kids do they come to your camps a week? Is it once a week, twice a week?
0: No, when they're little kids, once a week it's fine. We don't need to, you know, put them in a lot of hours, one hour sessions that they're okay.
1: So many times you've heard on the podcast that with young kids, it's just a re- important that they do all sorts of sports. They do karate, gymnastics, football, anything. It's just really good once they're out there being active at that age.
0: I agree with that. I agree with that. The more they do, the more coordination they have. So, it's fantastic.
1: And tell me, do you see any traits in young players that you say, okay, maybe, do you see extra determination in some that really stands out that you think can help them in the future? Or is that something they can learn?
0: You know, when when it comes to kids, you, they're are not formulas. You, you have to see the way they react, the way they concentrate. You know, kids are n- right nowadays. They don't have the same skills that they ha- we had when we were kids. Kids are going to you know ride a bike, and they need you know helmets and pads and. And when we were riding bikes on the street, we were barefooted, <laughs> you yeah. know. So they, kids nowadays, they don't climb up trees or they don't throw you know rocks to, the, to a lake or something. They don't do anything like that. So we need to work on their skill. You can't say, okay, I'm going to teach them this technique, this or that, or, because you need to work on their abilities. You need to work on, on the coordination level. First, And then see how they react, the concentration they have, the motivation they have also. So many things to consider around the kids.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point to say they are different. I know uh, it's good if parents can force their kids to get out. Obviously, it helps maybe a lot more people live in built up areas now. There's less room to do things and a lot more TV and iPhones and iPads and those things, which can be tough. Are parents allowed to come on site or do you, do you advise the parents to stay away? How does that work?
0: Well, number one, with all the distractions the kids have, that's, that's why we need to make sessions dynamic and more entertaining. Obviously with content behind, but we cannot have the kids standing on the line and hitting two, three, four hands and picking up the balls. We have to do something dynamic. To attract their attention, and the other thing is parents. We have to. Parents need information. When you show that you're a motivated coach and you into what you do, and uh, you give them information about we're going to do this. These are these are my targets. These are my. This these are my goals with this group, and you. These are my 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 tools with them. If you show them that, they will trust you. When you do some sessions and it seems like you want to pick up the phone instead of uh, watching the kids pick up the balls, when you don't pay attention to them, parents don't trust you that much. So that's why they get into it so much and they, they try to influence the sessions also because they, they, they consider that they, they need to help. When they see that you are into the session and you're focused and you're dedicated to the kids, You know, they trust you and and they they can take a step back.
1: I agree. There's nothing worse than whether you're with a tennis coach or with, you know, any sort of a trainer or a personal trainer or somebody and they have their phone out in the middle of the session and just like you're here for me or for this group or for my kid or you're not here to be answering calls or, you know, we're paying you for this and yeah, you want that dedication, that focus, that commitment to the athlete or the pupil, which I completely agree with you. That's a good point. Join over 10,000 people who have downloaded our free match and practice PDFs over at FunctionalTennis.com forward slash downloads. Our match and practice PDFs help you plan and evaluate your matches and practices. We have some other free downloads there for you too. So make sure you go over to FunctionalTennis.com forward slash downloads. And where do you get your patience from? Obviously, it can't be easy with three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds running around and not doing what you tell them to do and... uh, Compared to a fourteen-year-old who you just say, "Look, hit a hundred balls in the box and they keep hitting." I know you need patience for them as well. Where do you get your patience from? Maybe you can tell us.
0: Well, the thing is, when you play with little kids, you have to allow yourself to feel like a little kid too. Obviously, you have the you're the one that rules the session and the one that you know the, gives the has the authority to to say you do this, you do that, you just stand here, you do this activity, but in the end, you have to play with them. You have to try to use their same language and try to feel like, okay, I'm going to relax a little bit. I'm not going to be that diplomatic like when I'm talking to parents. I'm going to be playing like a little kid too. So if you enjoy that, and if you feel that way, uh, it's easy for you to communicate with the kids and they, they see the reflection of them in you. And the other thing is, if you're patient, in, patient enough to see that little, every little progress that they make is going to be a benefit for them in the future, that's fantastic. So that's your work. So you have to feel comfortable and, and happy about the things, the little things they're learning every day.
1: Nice. And tell me from your early days during the tennis aid, or sorry, the mini players program or your philosophy, any players we know of that have come through you and worked with you?
0: professional players?
1: Well, maybe they're not that age yet, but any successful juniors or college players?
0: Problem is that I've been switching so many clubs in so many countries (laughs) that I I didn't have the chance to work in the full program. For example, like Severin Tamborero in in Tennis Canada, she's been working there forever with the under-12s and she developed Bianca Andreescu, Felix, Auxeliasin, Denis Shapovalov and players like that. But um, since I, I moved from New York to Italy, to Italy, to, Bar- to Barcelona, I didn't have the chance to work many years in the same place. But uh, the good thing is all the kids that I've been teaching when they were six or seven or ten, they still play. Most of them, they still play. Some of them, they became coaches, actually. And that's like, my, my best reward. Yeah, this, they see they 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 still love the game, and they you know when they send me messages, they always remember that they had a great time working with me, that the way I was treating him, treating them, and then the way I I taught him how to love the sport. That's my biggest reward.
1: Nice. And tell me, do you know a guy called Phil Shrugs in your club over there? Not really. Uh, no, he's, he's based, he's in my club in Ireland, but he, fly, he, has, he has a place in Spain. He's a member of the club and I think he's moved full time to Spain now, to Barcelona. So you'll be seeing, you'll hear him, you'll see him. But really, Guy absolutely loves tennis. You'll definitely see him trying to grind away on the, on the courts uh, soon. <laughs> but yeah, let's move on to Tennis Aid, which has been, I think, a great success. You're doing such a good job there. When did Tennis Aid start or how did it start? Where did the idea for it come from?
0: Okay, about seven and a half years ago, I made a video, a mini tennis video um, about mini players. But instead of making a video of my sessions, I said, okay, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make a video of all the coaches around the world working in different circumstances with different facilities, different uh, equipment, and different methodologies and show the way you know, mini tennis is being taught around the world. And that video was called We Love Mini. And it was a big success. So the thing is, one of the coaches that sent me a video was uh, Vince from Uganda. He was asking me all the time, I want to see the video. My kids want to want to see it. And he said, you know, I, I follow your work, but we cannot do that in Uganda because we don't have many tennis balls. We don't have the cones and the hoops that you have. We don't have that kind of equipment. So my first idea was, okay, I'm going to help this guy out. I'm going to send him some, you know, mini tennis balls and red and orange balls and mini tennis rackets that we have in the storage in the club. I'll send them a box. So I said that to my friend Abel, who was working with me. And he said, uh out of the blue sky, he said, why don't we, instead of sending that, why don't we take them there? Incredibly, a month and a half later, uh, we were in Uganda. <laughs> you know, we brought a lot of equipment, tennis clothes, and uh, rackets from professional players that we got donations from. And uh, we taught them how to work with kids. They, they, these coaches were working in primary schools with large groups of kids. It's 75 kids. The first time we went there, uh, the first session we was in a football pitch. 75 kids. Probably they had 20 rackets and, and 40 balls. So thank God we brought equipment. We taught them how to work with little equipment. So we, they, they, we established some groups of three kids working with one racket and one ball each. And um, we told them that we, that was the kind of a technical assistance that we wanted to provide. And it was a success. That first trip was fantastic. So after that, we said, we cannot stop now.
1: So what have you been up to every year? How often do you get over there? How do you fund it?
0: In the last seven years, I went to Uganda four times. After the first trip, we went to Cambodia. Also, I made personal trips to Athens to a refugee camp in 2016. In 2019, I went to and uh, 16. Sorry, also I went to Argentina and I worked there in a you know, very peculiar place. A lot of poverty around the the city in Buenos Aires. And uh, I worked two years ago in Mexico. With a friend of mine who she has a program that to promote tennis around the small villages. And, um, you know, the, the satisfaction that you see when you get people playing for the first time and in, in trying to, you know, get connected to the sport. And you, you tell them, listen, I'll give you this racket. This is for you. Or I'll give you these shirts. Okay. I'll give you these tennis shoes. Um, satisfaction is, fun, is is magnificent.
1: I've seen it in the videos where, you know, they're so happy and the players are quite athletically gifted as well.
0: Yeah, you know, especially in Africa. The, the, the skills they have, the level of coordination they have, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. You teach them something in five minutes and they get the learning and they move properly. They move fast they, and, and they're eager to, eager to play. Uh, sometimes here in Spain, you have to push the kids a little bit to do a warm-up.
1: And, <laughs> yeah.
0: and, and you tell the kids, listen, uh, we're going to play a game. And you have to tell them in, in Africa, I'm saying. And you have to tell them things only once. And they do it. And they're so disciplined and so dedicated and so passionate about what they do that you have to stop them at one point because they, they don't stop.
1: Slow down. And Do, do any of them ever wait, make their way over to Spain?
0: You know, we, we thought about the possibility of bringing some kids over here. It's difficult, you know, the logistics are difficult. And then especially, they, we have to think about the impact that they can have. A kid from, from a slum in Uganda coming to Barcelona, having all the luxury of playing in the best tennis clubs, and then on the having to get back, you know, full of Nike shoes and, and nice rackets. But in the end, you go to play with in your slum and... Uh, it, that's difficult to to manage, but uh, we'll, we'll do something about it.
1: Cousin of my wife works as a physio slash strength trainer at an academy in Kenya. Oh, nice. And the, the academy is linked up with a club in Norway and it trains soccer players, really gifted soccer players, but they do have the issue of, you know, these guys sign professional deals with clubs all over Europe. But once they get to Europe, there is issues they have to deal with from, as you say, they get all the luxuries all of a sudden, they have a bit of money, they have all the goods, and it's just crazy. Like So that part must be really hard. It's hard to train that. You can train them all the physical skills, all the, you know, how to do stuff, but to put, then put them in a situation where they have money, they have all these goods, they're in a nice apartment, they go a bit out of control. And he says so so many of them don't make it because of that.
0: You know, it's, it's, diff, it's a different world. We Once you get there and you, for example, I, the first time we went there, we stayed at one of the coaches' place. I wouldn't call it a house because it was just a, a room with a bed, and a table, a bathroom that I wouldn't dare to enter. Uh, no kitchen, no faucet, no way to wash your hands. And we couldn't take a shower for three days. Until the moment that they said, "Okay, we visited a, a hotel where we do private lessons, and uh, you can, you guys can shower there." You know, if we were, they would have said that in the first day, we would have done that. But uh, <laughs> we spent three days without a shower, and it was very dirty and humid. And but anyway, um, the, the the situation is absolutely different of the things that we we do or we live, and I I can understand the kids. You know, it's a different reality for them.
1: It is. But look, I think this happens even, I know, let's say in Europe, I'll give you another example. A guy who played soccer with very young days, was really good, got a young teenage opportunity to play in big club in the UK, went over on the first night over there. He robbed the car. And like, you're like, what's going on here? And why did you do it? Because he was bored. Nothing else to do. He actually said he put the car back where he found it after he robbed. Like So, I, you know, there's, Challenges for people, no matter where you're from in the world, like, it's just crazy. But how do you think something like that, what you do in Uganda, is needed even in Europe? Do you think there's kids over here who need opportunity like that also?
0: Oh, definitely. Once I made a question to our followers on Instagram, and I said, okay, uh, what do you think, which country do you think is the, the one that we helped most with tennis aid? And 90% of the answers were saying Uganda, Uganda, Nigeria, or Zimbabwe. And the number one country that we helped was Spain. It is Spain. Because there are a lot of players here that, for example, wheelchair tennis players that we know. We give them rackets and, and clothes. We work with uh, coaches that, you know, they train people with Down syndrome, autism, or blind people. And we give them equipment. So necessities uh, are everywhere um, we send equipment to England to Scotland to New Zealand you say you' developed countries but th- there's always people with need people with no no good income and they want to do some some sport and they want to be, become players or they want to play tournaments and they don't have the budget to do it or they have they don't have good rackets and we help them you'd be amazed that they would, things some, some players do, especially in Africa, for example. Players, uh, they travel out for hours to go to a, an ITF tournament and they only have two rackets. And the rackets are different, even different brands. They only have one pair of shoes. You know, um, there are so many ways of helping people. I and mean, especially in Spain, we help a lot of people. And uh, it's not only, you know, teaching teaching the sport, it's people that, for example, they, they play wheelchair tennis. We are connected to many programs in Spain and uh, yeah, they, they're in need. So if we can, we can f- find a way to help them, that's fine for us.
1: And tell me two questions. How do you finance this? And maybe this is the same question as well, but how can people help you?
0: We are very poor in terms of what we have in in your bank account. (laughs) Fortunately, you know, the the last few years, what we've been doing is every time we wanted to travel somewhere, we started campaigning and some people will donate some money. Not that much, but um, it will help us a lot. Or we will do some, you know, sell some um, merchandising with logos, with our logo in our shirts or key rings or stuff like that. But uh, the last year after, The pandemic hit us very hard because for four months, we couldn't do anything like sending equipment anywhere. The Spanish Federation, the president of the Spanish Federation, Miguel Diaz, he's a very good friend and and he's always concerned about trying to help us. And uh, I always appreciate his efforts. He gave us a budget. So he said, okay, if you send equipment, we pay for that. We give you some certain amount of money and we pay for the shipments. And we did that. From August to january in January, when we finished that funding, I told him, you know I was really thankful for that, and he said, "Okay, you can count on more money now, so we're we' don't doing that um thanks to the Spanish Federation, but we don't have our own funds, we don't have the you know support from local governments or local um city halls you know you know with money that we, they come to our account." On a yearly basis, we don't have that, but we're working on it.
1: And tell me, do you ever get any customs issues where you're sending items to different countries where there's a, there's a cost to, for the these used items that are really valueless in a way entering a country? Does that ever happen?
0: Well, we have some problems. For example, there are countries that if, if we send equipment to a coach, they charge them you know, taxes for what they get. And, you know, you're trying to give them, make them a favor of sending them equipment and they have to pay for it, and especially in Argentina, which is crazy because it shouldn't be that way. But uh, in some countries in, in, in Africa, they have that. In some of them, they don't have to pay anything. They just receive the package, which is good. But I sent a package to Peru and after three months... The package got there. Usually it takes three weeks, but the, the package took three months to get there. And the coach says, they won't give me the things because there's use closed in there. And because of COVID, they don't want it. They don't want it to enter the country. So they sent me back the bag and I received it last week after six months of sending it. Nightmare. It's very frustrating but because I don't, I don't think that that's going to be a serious problem getting used clothes and being in a bag for three weeks. I know. But anyway.
1: So there are challenges from that side. And tell me, like like our post on functional tennis that we did, like the last one we did, I'm not sure about five, six weeks ago, was one of our most successful posts ever in the five years. Do us posting on other pages like ours and players and posting about it. Does that help?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And you, we see it in the way You know, sometimes we think, you know, having followers on accounts like Instagram is like, okay, you're collecting people, you're collecting followers. Now, the thing is, when you have a lot of followers, you have more people connected to what you do and, and there's more people trying to help. Once, for example, Functional Tennis posts something about Tennis Aid. We get a lot of attention, and we start getting messages from people. I will give you one example. One girl from the U.S. said, I, I saw your post. I love what you do. I've been doing some research in, in terms of the things you've been doing. I want to help. She ended up sending a string machine, a very expensive shipment she paid, but she sent a stringing machine to a friend of mine in South Africa who has been asking for a stringing machine for a long time now. So that coach in Johannesburg now has that stringing machine because of one girl that saw a post on Instagram. So that helps a lot. And when players or functional tennis with a page with so many followers do something for tennis hey, I can guarantee you that that helps a lot.
1: That's amazing to hear. I'm glad, you know, the post goes to do this great work and it helps. And I'm, I'm sure. I've, well, I've seen other pages post about it as well. So look, it's something that we won't stop doing in the future. We'll, we'll still be posting about your great work. And if there's anything else we can do, we're always here to help. But Martin. Thank you very much for sharing that story with us, for sharing your great work with the young tennis kids and with people in need all over the world. I think you're doing an amazing job and let's try and bring some more light to the work that you do. So thank you very much. Yeah, hope the rest of the weekend goes great in Barcelona and
0: you give Rafa some tips. <laughs> thank you. I, I have to thank you, Fabio, for because you've been supporting Tennis Aid in the last years, and uh, you know, as I te- as I told you, uh, it helps a lot. And you've been you're doing a great job by promoting tennis, not only Tennis Aid, you know, tennis in general, because we we love the sport, and we want everyone. You know, one of the motives in tennis in, in Tennis Aid is tennis, no matter where. We want everyone playing tennis, no matter if you now have facilities or you have equipment, will try to help you. And this is something you do. You promote tennis and uh, that's something that we appreciate.
1: Thank you. And yeah, speak soon.
0: All right. Thank you, Fabio.
1: What a great story by Martin. And I can't thank him enough for his great work. If you'd like to help at all, you can reach him at the Tennis Aid 1 Instagram account or at his personal account, 10 Martin Rocket, or you can message me for details and I'll pass them on. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you have a great week. Until next week, goodbye.